All right, like I said, we have a lot to get through. Um, we got a lot to cover. We haven't met, and if you haven't come to CrossCon, if you didn't, if you weren't at CrossCon, we haven't met in over four weeks. So it's been a month since I've seen y'all, um, and I've been looking forward to it. I spent a lot of time just seeking the Lord, like, Father, what do you have for this group this year? 2021, right? Not 2020. Finally, out of that year, and I just, Father, what do you have for us? And I feel like he started with this in my heart, and I want to share it with you. So tonight, we're going to be in Genesis 24. If you have your Bible on your phone, your device, go ahead and turn to Genesis 24. That's where we're going to be tonight. And uh, as we get there, and as you're opening to it, I just want to take a bit of a quick poll. Um, How many of you, you can raise your hand if you want. How many of you have set some kind of New Year's resolution or new goal for 2021? A little more than half of you, right? I know some people are like adamantly opposed to it, so I figured I might as well uh, ask. But um, so a lot of you have set some kind of goal, uh, whether it be like, you know, there are like pretty common ones, like I want to read my Bible in a year. I want to lose weight. I want to eat healthier. I want to finish school. I want to stay off social media or only spend so much time onto it. Or I want to go travel somewhere. Like we all have these things that we set as goals for our life and new year's is a perfect time for our culture and our society uh to do that we call them new year's resolutions right like we are resolving for something to be done we are becoming resolute in a certain action that we want to take but why why do we do that like what's the motivation for us as humans to want to do that? What's the motivation to have New Year's resolutions? I think it's because we have a vision for our life, right? Like we have an idea of what we should be, how we should act. We have this vision of maybe what we want to look like. We have this idea of us in mind. And for us, New Year's resolutions are how we get to that, right? Or goals. That's how we get to that. If you were at CrossCon, you heard me talk about targets and arrows. There's this idea that in life, there's different seasons in which you could be a target or you could be an arrow. And when it comes like New Year's resolutions and stuff, this vision of who we are, of who we want to be, that's the target. And we're the arrow. And everything that causes the arrow to get to that target, whether it be like the bow or the wind velocity or all these things, all those other factors, those are sort of like the New Year's resolutions that we're trying to create to get us to the target. Right? They're the things that move us along to it. That's how we view New Year's resolutions. Like We have this particular vision in it. But it doesn't just stop with New Year's resolutions. Like we are constantly making decisions in our lives, constantly making decisions, and hopefully we want the outcome to result in our end goal, right? Whatever the end vision for our life might be. Whether it's what class you're going to take next, what school you're going to go to, where you're going to live, what job you're either working or not working, or you want to start or you want to quit, right? Who to date what kind of career to have. Like we've got all these major things and I don't need to bring up any more. I'm sure you guys are already thinking of some in your mind, like maybe even some recent decisions you've had to make currently of things you hope will impact your life 
to meet the vision that you have for it, right? To meet where you want to be. You can call all those things to your mind, the things that you've recently thought of, and at the end of the day, what question are we trying to answer when we make those decisions? We're trying to answer the question, what should I do next? That's the question we often ask ourselves, and and tonight, I want to present something different to you, though. I want to present to you that when it comes to making decisions that affect the trajectory of your life, we're asking the wrong question. You see, we, we constantly ask the question, what should I do? Lord, what, what should I do? But by asking that question, we're making some implications. Right? We're, by asking, what should I do? We're making implications that that answer is up for grabs or that, that question already isn't answered in our lives. In fact, by asking that question, we're sort of making the assumption that that has a different answer depending on the season of our life. Well, I'm about to go to college, so what do I do now? Or I'm about to leave, so what do I do now? And we act like that answer is going to change based on our life circumstances. That's the implication, is that the answer is up for grabs. But what I want to say to you tonight, and what I want you to see, and I hope that you've seen over our time together as a ministry, and in your walk with Christ, is that that answer is not up for grabs. That answer has been decided, and that you have a purpose in life, and that the what should I do is already decided. And so what I want to do is I want to read just a few scriptures to you that we've talked about in our time together over the past several months. And I want to just bring them to your mind and and then show you what I'm talking about before we get into Genesis 24. So Isaiah 43, 21, he says, God says that there are a people, we are a people who he has formed for himself that we might declare his praise. He declares that we have a purpose and that purpose in life is to declare his praise. In Matthew, Jesus says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And that is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then what I pray is a familiar passage for this ministry. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What I want you to see is you've been created with a purpose. You have been saved. You have been given new life. You have become a child of God for a very specific reason. And what does God say that that reason is? Well, those passages tell us that the reason for our existence, the the what we are to do with our lives is to give him glory, to praise him, to love him and others, and to make disciples. Love God, love others, make disciples. That is what he has called us for. That is why he has created us. So as believers, as those that have new life in Christ, as those that are children of God, what should I do next or what should I do? That's already answered. The answer is glorify God and make disciples. 
love God, love others, and make disciples. Like, that is the answer for Lord. What should I do? Father, what should I do with my life? What should I do with this class? What should I do with this situation I find myself in, with this job or with this relationship? Like, that is the answer, and it's never going to change because you always have that purpose in life. And so the question is no longer, what should I do? The question should become, Lord, how should I do it? When looking at the entire perspective of your life, you know what you should do. Love God, love others, make disciples. And every decision stemming from that should be, Lord, how does this decision allow me to accomplish that mission more? If I'm going to choose this school or that school, how does this school accomplish the mission more? How, God, is this the step? Or how is this one? How should I do it? Is the, is the question we need to be asking. And I'm here to tell you that the vision for your life when it comes to making decisions and the vision for your life when it comes to setting goals is far too often in us, in all of us, that vision is too shallow sometimes. When we come to determining what we're going to do with our lives and, and the decisions we make, we let the impact be so shallow right off the bat. Like we just sit in the shallow end making all these little decisions as if there isn't a deep end to consider. And so I, I want to take us into the deep end as we're sort of in this season of making decisions. I know a lot of you have made some big decisions over the last several weeks while we've been gone. A lot of you have thought about school, you've thought about jobs, you've thought about relationships. A lot of you have had to make some hard choices with living situations and things like that. I've gotten to talk to a lot of you and I've seen that. And on top of that, we are in a, a culture right now and in a time in our society when we are all making decisions, right? New Year's resolutions. Everybody sort of comes up with a vision for what they want with their life. So what perfect time to talk about this than right now when we're making decisions and we're trying to evaluate what our resolutions should be. So, so here's why we're in Genesis 24, right? Let me connect this all together now. Genesis 24 is a perfect example of the resolutions that we should be taking. Genesis 24 is a great thing to look at when we understand that we have new life and we already have a purpose. So what are things that we can constantly be resolved in? What are, what are things that are resolute in? What are things that we can constantly be dedicated in? So I want to dive into it, but what I want to see tonight is five new life resolutions. Not New Year's resolutions, but new life resolutions. As in resolutions anybody should have that has new life in Christ. So we got a lot to get through, so dive in with me. Genesis 24, I'll read it in chunks and we'll break it down. Um, the beginning, we're, we're talking about Abraham here, and it says, Now Abraham was old. Well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. We'll get to that in a minute. It's a little weird, right? 
Put your hand under my thigh, that I might make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth. So resolution one, know the Lord. Know the Lord. You know, the idea of putting your hand under someone's thigh back then, like putting your hand under someone's thigh signified a submission to them. It signified a relationship between the two people, one as Lord and one as servant. It's just like our confession of Christ as our Savior signifies that we are submitting our lives to him. That he is our Lord and we are his servants. The, the servant putting his hand under the Lord's thigh showed an intimate relationship. It's not one that's just obtained by anybody. It's one that's only established by the Lord and who he chooses to establish it with. Abraham, as the Lord of this servant, he has a word for him. He has something he wants to tell the servant, but he doesn't just tell him the word, right? He doesn't just give him, he doesn't like call the servant in and then just like start talking to him, right? Like he doesn't tell him his purpose until the servant submits and acknowledges him as Lord. Just like we have all been created for a purpose, the purpose that we've been talking about so far. And we've all been created for a specific meaning in life, and we all are heading towards that meaning, but it will not be revealed to us, and we will not understand it unless we know the Lord, unless we submit to him, unless we acknowledge him as our Lord. In a lot of ways, unless we put our hand under the thigh, right, submit to him. So there's two ways that I want to talk about resolving to know the Lord. And the first one is personally. And the second one is continually. The ways that you can be resolved in knowing the Lord this year and any year that you live on this earth and walk in relationship with him is personally and continually. And let's just start with the personal one real quick. Like we need, we need a clear, articulate, testimony of our submission to him. We need that obvious moment where we have put our hand under the thigh of our Lord, where we have submitted to Jesus Christ. And, and the pro- this is why I'm saying it. The, the problem is, in our church and in the church at large, and I guarantee in this room here as well, The problem is there are far too many who can't articulate their testimony with Christ. They can't articulate the moment or time in their life when they finally acknowledge who he is and submitted to him. Like Calvin and I just experienced this uh, this week, actually. Calvin and I were were meeting with uh, a couple that, that comes to our church, and I got to asking them, like, why don't you just tell us your testimony? Tell us how you came to to know Jesus. Tell you how how you came to know the Lord. And they were able to talk about their love for God 
They were able to talk about being involved in the church. They were able to talk about like the benefits of being involved in the church and, and of uh, being part of our church. They were able to talk about being healed and able to talk about the missionary work they've done. And yet, there was no articulation of the fact that they had ever submitted to Jesus himself. There was no mention of their sin, the weight of their sin, the confession of Jesus as the one who died for their sin. Like there was no articulation of repentance or a need to even have their sins forgiven. I mean, there was plenty of evidence in their life that they believed in God, right? Like they believed in God, the creator, but there was little evidence in their testimony itself that they knew their Lord. And I want you to hear the difference there. There is a difference between believing in God and knowing God. There's a difference between believing in God the Creator and knowing Jesus your Savior. So, in terms of articulating, let me just ask you some questions I want you thinking about. Let me ask you, why do you follow Christ? Like, what's so good about him in your life that you would desire others to follow him? What about him is so unique, is so special, that someone would need to seek him above all the other things that they're being offered in life? There's lots of reasons we might try to think of, and a lot of the reasons that we find out there like love what if what if we say that the reason you should follow jesus is because he loves you guys i can get love from my family i can get love from my wife i can get love from my kids i can get love from my dog right i can feel loved by my dog now, you'll say, that, now Cody, that's not true love, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you're talking to a non-believer, and you're articulating your testimony, and you're trying to tell them why they should believe in God, the only concept of love that they're going to have is the love that they've experienced so far, right? So when I say love to somebody that hasn't experienced the true love of God, they're going to relate the love that their dog has to them, right? So love, I would say, is not the best reason and not the reason we can articulate our testimony. But what about patience? I know people that are patient. There's certain people you call on the phone, you can just tell that they're a patient person, right? As they're trying to walk you through something you don't know how to do. Like most of our admins that work at this church are patient people with me. I can tell that they're patient. So that is not something that is only exclusive to Christ. What about acceptance? Oh, you should follow Christ because he accepts you for who you are. The world's toting acceptance right now. In fact, the world is toting that if you aren't accepting, you won't be accepted. Acceptance is the currency right now of our culture. Accepting beliefs and actions and thoughts, like you can turn anywhere and find somebody to accept you for who you are. That's not exclusive to God. Okay, so not, not acceptance. What about um, caring? Like God cares for you so much and he can teach you how to care for others. Like if you go to Google and you type in nonprofit organization, do you know how many organizations you'll find whose whole entity and foundation is the care of other people? There are organizations outside of the church that take care of people better than the church does. 
If you're going to try to preach to people on Jesus because he cares for others, and that's the only reason they should know him, they're going to find it elsewhere. Okay, okay, what about, last one, what, what about, like he gives you a, a, a true view of the world. You'll view things the right way, the way they should be. You'll see the world as it actually is, if you can really see it from God's perspective. I think many of you can probably think of a politician or two or ten that believe the right things without believing in God. That fight for the right things without fighting for godly things. It's easy to fight for a political stance. If having a right view of the world is how we're winning people to Christ, we're not going to win them to Christ. So I want to charge you as you're, you're thinking through this. So what, what would your answer be? Why should someone come to know Christ? And in your life, how can you articulate your relationship with him in a way that will help them understand it? You need to make sure you know your Lord. Resolve yourself. Be resolute in knowing him because you have new life in him. Make sure you can articulate it to yourself and to others about what's so great about him and why you needed him in the first place. Because, guys, that's the answer. Why do you need Christ? Because you may not realize it now, but you you actually do need him. Because the world can offer you a lot of things, but it can't offer you righteousness. It cannot offer you redemption with a God. It cannot offer you eternal life. It cannot offer you the things that God can offer you. Yeah, it's a pale comparison. You want to know love? You'll only find it if you understand the righteousness of God and your unrighteousness. See, when we can start to articulate the world in a way that they understand just how broken we are, how sinful we are, and then begin to see God in comparison to that. We, we can begin talking about the weight of our sin, the weight of our offense to God, the weight of our brokenness, and be able to compare God to that and show that he's the exact opposite of that and he offers redemption to that and no one else offers that. Now we're talking. So how does that play out in your life? I wanna, I'm pushing this so hard, guys, because I, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor in my life I have talked to somebody that says they love God and cannot even name the name of Jesus as their Savior. Don't fool yourself. That's why I love our baptisms here at this church. If you've seen our baptisms at this church, I think my favorite thing that our church does as a discipleship is that they require people to meet the pastor before they get baptized. And that pastor helps people articulate and learn what it means for Christ to be Lord of their life. And there are people that walk into that meeting not knowing Jesus and leaving that meeting with new life. I remember my first um, time baptizing here. It was like three or four years ago at this point. And um, I was getting ready and I had like 
five people I was baptizing, and I met with all of them, but there was this one guy. He was in his, his 50s or 60s. He had grown up in the church. And I, I mean, I, I met with him three times. Every time. I'm just trying to get him to articulate why he follows Christ. And every time I hear, I grew up going to church. I grew up serving. I always grew up knowing Jesus. But I couldn't get him to articulate his need for a savior. And I thought, oh man. I mean, it was the day before the baptism. I was like, I'm going to have to call him tonight. And I'm going to have to tell him I can't baptize him. Because I, I can't, it's just not there yet, right? That understanding of Jesus died for your sins. Like truly, personally knowing the Lord in that. And then he calls me. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know, I, I, uh, I had lunch with Pastor Rob today. And we were just talking about the baptism. And he helped me understand that I never really accepted Christ as my Savior. Like, I just grew up in the church, but I never understood what he did for me. I never understood who I was before I needed him. He's like, I... I've been a Christian for 50 years. You know, I forget how long he said it. It's like 50 or 60 years. I've been a Christian for this long. But when I get in the baptism tank tomorrow, I'm going to tell people I became a Christian yesterday. That's when I learned. That's my stake in the ground. Like, that's what I'm talking about, guys. I'm not saying you need to have this miraculous moment, right? I'm not saying that, like, it has to happen in this instant. Like, I know my personal testimony is like a two-month window. I don't know exactly where it happened. I had almost no guidance, almost no shepherding, but I do remember very specifically when I came to understand what Jesus had done for me. And so now I charge you. Can you articulate that? Do you know him personally? And if you don't, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the leaders. I'd love to talk to you more. So know him personally, and the second one I said is just know him continually. You've already, maybe you've already been there. Maybe you're at the point you know him personally. You've had that moment. You have been walking with him, and so you need to be resolute in making sure that you are with him continually. You're with him in prayer. You're with him in the word, and you're with him in his church. Guys, the church is the body of Christ. It's called the body of of Christ, and it is one of the ways to be with him. I heard, him, I heard a quote uh, last week while I was just sort of thinking through all this, and it said that holiness is a team sport. I didn't get it at first. Holiness is a team sport, and, and the more I've researched it and the more I thought about it, I realized just how true that was. First Peter says that you, the, the church, Disciples, you yourselves, you're like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Like what that is saying is that you are all living stones. You're all these individual stones, but you are being built up together as one house to be holy and be sanctified and offer sacrifice to the Lord. Like, holiness also happens in the context of each other. 
We are working with each other to become holy. We are encouraging one another to become holy. And the idea that holiness can happen apart from the church would be a foreign concept to those that Scripture was written to. All right, I know I hit you guys for a long time on that one. But that, to me, if there was one that you were just going to leave home tonight with, that's it. And I know I I still got four more, but I've got nine more minutes, so we're going to fly through these, all right? But um, we've got these other resolutions that we can see in this passage. So he called his servant in. He's like, put your hand under my thigh, right? Submit to me, acknowledge me as Lord, know me. And then he says, so you're going to make this oath to me and, and, and to God, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And then the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and who swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Resolution 2. Know his word. Know the Lord and know his word. So the servant received a word from Abraham. He received his mission and his purpose and his calling, just like we have received the word from our Lord. And what did the servant do? Right after Abraham first talked to him, what, what does the servant do? You can, you can see it right there. Verse 5, the servant said to him, and then he asked some questions. That's what the servant did. He, he asked questions. He asked questions to better understand his purpose, to better understand the calling that he was begin, being given, to better understand the word of his Lord. Like he tested it. He asked questions. He sought clarity from it. And, and in Christ for us, like it's no different. We've been given the word from God. We've been given the purpose and the calling of our lives. And it's found in his word. Like we've been given this and so we need to ask the questions we need to try to understand it to the fullest extent that we possibly can i mean so he said like hey go do this and then the servant asked well well what about if this happens and then if you look back and read it abraham says the same thing but then gives way more detail it's almost like he was just asking for the servant to ask like he was just waiting for the servant to ask that question for him to reveal even more to him. So I'm telling you, be, re- be resolute in knowing the word of God by asking the questions that you need to. Like, guys, this, this has been around for way longer than any of us, and it has withstood the test of time and any question that's ever been thrown at it. It can handle it. Ask the questions. Seek clarity. The Lord will be faithful to provide it to you. So, for those of us that have new life, know his word, open it, read it, question it, repeat it. And if you're looking for a way to do that, this is a practical plug, right? If you're looking for a way to do that, I posted in a group me a while ago, our church is on a year-long reading plan right now. 
It's actually, this first quarter is like just an overview of the whole Bible. And there's like every two days, there's a catch up day. It's super easy to get on it, guys. So like you can go to our website. I actually think it's like cormdobible.church slash together. Even I think it'll take you like directly to it. You can ask me, I'll send it to you. It's not too late. If you just want to like drop in right now, just drop in. There's no shame in like being committed to the words, the, the words of the Lord, like right now. If you want to drop in, like just start and just start where we are and keep on going. That is way more beneficial than just assuming, oh, it's too late. I can't jump in now. So if you want something practical, look it up, get on board with us. It's been great. Actually, the reason we're going through this passage is because I read it in the reading plan. I was like, this is it. This is what I want to talk about. So, all right, let's dive back into the word. Verse 10, then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he rose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And uh, he made the camels kneel down beside the city by the well of the water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let this be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Resolution three, take prayerful action. Now let's, let's just get rid of the adjective for a second, right? Take prayerful out of it. The first is take action, meaning do something. Like the servant submitted to the Lord, he sought clarity in his word, and then he took action. He did what he was asked to do. He did the practical. Well, I know I'm supposed to do this. I'm going to go do that. I mean, that right there, I don't feel like I need to give you many examples of the times in your life that you know the Lord has told you to do something and you've not done it. Those run abundant in all of our lives whether it's because we're too lazy or too afraid or we don't feel equipped enough or we feel like someone would be better at it or all these things, like we have those moments in our lives. But it's not just taking the action. I want you to see that it's taking prayerful action. Meaning it's an action that you take that is reliant upon the Lord. It's something that you are doing while relying on God to be the provision. Like it's not in your own strength, it's not in your own power, but it's certainly something you're doing and waiting for the Lord to work through it. So what's the first thing the servant did when he got there? He prayed. He prayed and he prayed specifically. And that's what I want to hit from this. He prayed specifically and confidently. I mean, he said, Lord, let this thing happen. Far too often, our prayers are so vague. We don't ask boldly. We don't ask confidently. We're just like, Lord, will you just show me whatever I'm supposed to do? Like, like we expect a, a neon sign to come from heaven that drops down and says, this way, buddy. Like, that's what we act like a lot of times. Just, Lord, just give me some kind of sign. I'm just waiting here. Like, we never pray confidently and boldly to say, like, Lord, will you just, as I'm having this conversation with my mom, we... 
Will she just say no? If you're going to shut this down, will she just say no, Father? Like, close this door if you want it closed. Like, it's okay to pray specifically, pray specifically in these situations. So pray boldly. Pray specifically just like he did. I mean, his was pretty specific, right? Lord, as I'm going out this time of evening and there's going to be women out here, may the one that offers me water and my camel's water, may that be the one that you have selected for my master. Like, that's a pretty specific statement to expect and a specific sign to be looking for. So not, notice I'm not saying that you need to pray for signs all the time. What I'm saying is you can pray boldly. You can pray specifically. And you can make your prayer specific to the situations that you're in. So if you know the Lord and you know his word, you're going to be praying according to his will in that. All right. I got a lot more to get through, and I've got zero minutes to do it. So we're going to go into um, the next resolution in just a minute. Um, but I, I want you to hear in that, too, that one of the places we don't pray specifically enough is in our temptations. I think we just expect to be equipped to fight our temptations, and we just expect to have the strength when it comes, but far too often when we're actually facing that temptation, we don't get specific enough to ask the Lord to stop it for us in that moment. I think a lot of times we're just like, Lord, I know you give me the strength. Next time it comes to it, Lord, just give me the strength. But rather, how about when you're in the midst of that temptation, that's when you're praying specifically and boldly. Like, Lord, make my phone shut down right now. Like, Lord, make someone call me right now. Lord, hit me with a car if you need to to get me to stop doing this right now. Like, pray specifically for, don't pray for, don't pray to get hit by a car. I don't know what I'm saying, okay? But that's what, what I'm saying is pray specifically in a way that you ask the Lord, like, help me fight this in your spirit with your strength, Lord. Give me these things. All right. So, resolution number four starts in verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. And the young woman was very attractive in appearance and a maiden. And then, as you go through these next few verses, she did exactly what he asked the Lord to reveal. And read verse 21. As she's doing all this, verse 21 says, The servant gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. He asked for this thing to happen. And as it's happening, did he jump the gun? Did he just like dive right into, Oh, that's it. It's already happening. It's time, it's time to do this thing. Like, no. He was discerning. Resolution four, be discerning. Weigh what the Lord is doing in your life. It's okay to watch and to weigh it against the word of God. It's okay to watch and weigh it against what the church around you has to say about it. I mean, we were, I was just talking to somebody this week trying to help them weigh out decisions in their life. And the things we're weighing it against is what is the Lord telling you? What is he telling you through his word, through prayer, through his spirit, through those elders that know you, through the church that knows you? It's okay to be discerning. Even when it looks like everything is falling in place the way you think it should, be discerning. Wait and look and consider, is this the thing that's from the Lord? 
and take those avenues that I just mentioned, the word, the prayer, the church around you. All right. And then right after that, he says, all of this happens, and he adorns her with bracelets and with gold, and he's like, who are you? And she's like, oh, I'm from this, and he finds out that, that she is exactly who he's looking for. And then verse 26, it says, the man, the servant, bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. And then the young woman ran and told her mother's household. So, respond in worship. That's resolution five. That's the last one. Respond in worship. Think about just how awkward that probably was for her. I mean, this guy comes up and he's like, you know, you offer to help him. And he's like, who are you? And then you tell him, and all of a sudden he just starts throwing jewelry on you. And then he just bows down and worships the Lord and says this whole thing of worship while you're just standing there. And then you leave away from that. Like, the situation is something I highly doubt any of us would be in. Right? How many of you have ever been like, just like this close to somebody in a conversation and they like tell you something like, oh, praise the Lord. And you just drop down your knees and start praising God like as they're standing there. I'd assume almost none of you have been in that situation. But think about the passionate, unashamed worship that was in that. Somebody that recognized what the Lord was doing and had been praying for it and it was answered, their natural response was to worship. And we should resolve ourselves to worship no matter the situation, no matter the awkwardness, no matter what's going on, because the Lord deserves it and he's the one fulfilling his plan in front of us in our very lives. So respond in worship. And we'll get more to that next week for sure. Um, I'm four minutes over, so we're good there. But actually this works out great because we're going to be wrapping up into um, putting some of these things into practice. So I said these are five new life resolutions, right? But for us in this ministry, these are going to be five resolutions for this year to really focus on. And this is, this is the thing I want to ask from you. As you've sort of sat here and you've heard me say these things and I've taken out of the word, I want to ask you to come alongside us. Like we want to be resolute in helping others know the Lord. So would you come alongside us in that? Like, would you be meeting with people? Would you be committed to discipleship? One of our foundations here, like, would you be committed to discipleship? Would you invite people here? Would you bring them? Would you share the gospel with people? Would you work on articulating your testimony together? Like, would you help us help others know the Lord? Would you help us become a people who know the word? Would you encourage us? Like, when we do these breakouts and these group discussions, would you lean in this year? And commit to help each other learn the word better. Would you help us take prayerful action against the enemy? And we're going to get to put that one in practice in just a minute. Would you help us be discerning? Would you help us help others be discerning? If this is the Lord's will of their life. Guys, this is the ministry in the entire church that deals with some of the, the questions in life that change trajectories. 
trajectories of families and people and careers. There's a lot of things to be discerned. So would you lean in with us and help each other discern them? And last, would you join us in passionate worship this year? We're going to be building our worship culture this year. I'm so excited about it. And Calvin and I have been sitting down trying to find some really great ways to do that. And not just through song, but would you join us in committing to worship as well?